listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Okay, so uh, by raising your hands, so you'll raise them up. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to raise them and keep them up. So if you have ever voted in a general election, the most recent being this past 2016, if you've ever voted, raise your hand and keep it up. Okay, pretty good. Uh, you know, we're raising and we're keeping it up. Now, kids, look around. So one of these days, you're going to have an opportunity. I just pray it's not when you're 16. But at any rate, that's uh, all right. So we're keeping them up. Now, if you have voted in a primary election leading up to a general election, keep your hands up. If you've never voted in a primary, you can put your hands down. Now, what does this tell us? In the state of Florida, the primaries are closed. That means you have to have been on the books somewhere with a major political party for you to be able to cast a vote in a primary election. So just look around, look around. Everybody look around at all the hands that are up. Everybody look around. These are the folks that are going to get mad at me today, okay? You put your hands down. (laughs) Politics. If you take politics and religion, then you've got the two most often topics that, that get it stirred up in the family reunion. So Christmas time, uh, Thanksgiving, it's coming around. And you know who it is who's going to bring it up. You know the one, uh, he or she will be sitting at the table or scooping up some cranberry sauce. And it's going to be said, and then it's on. And if it's a Thanksgiving deal, then you know as big as it can get, we might not even have to get together for Christmas. So <laughs> politics is our topic for today. We're in a series called Let's Talk About It. There's no way that we can deal with these topics that are controversial in our society, these things that, uh, that, that create um, a venue by which Christians can enter into conversations. And what we want to be able to do is to think about how we might represent Jesus in these controversial issues. Today, we're going to deal with politics. Now, Here's what we're not going to do today in this, in this talk on politics. Uh, we're not going to tell you which political party that you should be affiliated with. In fact, the one thing that I was not going to and will never do is to have you raise your hand if you are affiliated with a particular political party. Because I would be willing to bet that in this room... Between the two political parties, we've got folks that are excited about worshiping together, excited about the cause of Jesus Christ, excited about the the, the possibilities that exist when we pull our gifts together that have been given to us by God himself and we strive for that, that he has called us to do, that there are folks that are here together that are excited about who we are as followers of Jesus. If in fact, you know Jesus as your savior. And at the same time could be on polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. And that's kind of what we want to deal with today is how we exercise ourselves on those polar ends if that's where we find ourselves. Politics, it, it, it starts with the word polity, which is a word used to define government. It is simply a word that means a means of governing, a polity. And then politics is the science or the art of human government. It's the science of the, the art of how that particular polity works. And we in America are excited about the fact that we are involved in a uh, democratic republic. You know, we're not a pure democracy. We have uh, representatives that are elected that, that they speak with a louder voice than any one of us do because they represent us. And, and, and we're excited about that because we look around the world and we see what we think are governments that might not be as, uh, as beneficial to its citizens. At least that's what we perceive and that's what we think. 
So today we're not going to try to talk about which party politically you should be involved with. I'm going to tell, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to do anything, but just ask the question, how do we represent Jesus in a society that is consumed with politics? where the conversations are happening, what are we bringing to the table? In order to do that, I want to bring out four points, okay? If we can do that, then, uh, then we'll get done and we'll go eat lunch together. Four points, okay? And here's how we're going to move. By the way, if you've got version, uh, it should be in the live event, so you should be able to find them there and find the points. If not, I would encourage you, because I'm going to bring up some scriptures that I'd love for you to write down. I'd love for you to be able to, to go back and read, because I'm only going to mention a few and I'd love for you to go back and read those for yourselves. But we're going to make four points. Number one, we're going to make the point that God has established human government. I'm going to build a case that human government is established and created by God for a particular purpose. The second point I'm going to make is that Christians have a a responsibility to those who govern them. Christians have a responsibility to those who govern them regardless of where they exist in the world. They have a responsibility. It's a generic call on all believers and uh, and how they are to be responsible to their governing authorities. The third point we're going to make is that Christians must be vigilant to protect their allegiances. We're going to think about who and what we if I can use the word, if I can steal the word, pledge allegiance to. Christians must be vigilant in protecting their allegiance. And then lastly, how must American Christians conduct themselves in our political atmosphere? So that's going to be our goal today. And let's talk about politics so that we might understand how politics fits in the Christian narrative And then how we are to exercise the representation of Jesus in a world that is consistently talking about politics. Point number one, God has established human government. In order to build that case, I want to take you to Romans chapter 13. I alluded to that last week. We're going to read it today. Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And here's what it says. Paul, in writing to the folks at Rome says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That kind of sounds like point number two, but but we'll get to that in a minute. For there is no authority except from whom, class? God. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by whom, class? By God. They've been established by God. They're they're the authority of God and they're instituted. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. You would have no fear of, of, of the one who is in authority, or would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay, say it out loud. Now say it like you want to say it taxes. Okay. You pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God has established human government. But let me build it on this, on, on, on this basis. Human government as we know it worldwide was certainly not God's initial intention, if you will, 
pre-fall. In the beginning, God created all the universe and he created man and woman and he created them to multiply and to increase and God created humanity uniquely in his own image and then he demonstrated that he did so in order to have fellowship with humanity. God with man. And God's uh, created order was that man would be subject to God and that they would love him voluntarily. But when sin came into the world, then mankind's heart was turned against God and mankind's heart was turned against one another. I'll remind you of last week. What happened when Cain got his feelings hurt by his brother? He took and he killed his brother. And so as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, in the same way that God needed to provide clothing for man and woman so that they might cover their nakedness that they did not know they were in until sin, God also provided a means of keeping order and protecting the people through the means of human Government. So Romans 13 tells us that the authorities that are in place are there because of God. Now, this is okay in our minds as long as we like our authorities. And generally speaking, we like our authorities and the governments in which we are the government in which we fall under their authority too. But I want you to think for just a second. I want you to think about where in the world is the most tyrannical government, the most uh, destructive to its citizens. You got it in your mind? That government too is established by God. Now, that doesn't mean that he is pleased with how those leaders are governing, but in the same way, if you were a Christian in that nation, you would be expected to see that government through the same lens of Romans 13 that you and I see it. So God established human government because of sin, and God uses human government to accomplish his sovereign purpose. For instance, he created his people, which we know them as God's people, the nation of Israel for a particular purpose. He created the nation of Israel so that there would be a means by which the, 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 uh, the human population could view what it looks like to be in submission to God and to provide a vehicle through which the Savior might come to us. So God used Israel, but at the same time, God used the governments of Egypt, Philistia, the Philistines. God used the governments of Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and most of them were a pest and an oppression to the people of Israel. Yet you can find time and again in Scripture where God is establishing a nation that we would consider, and I think he would consider, uber sinful. I mean, they would be completely characterized by wickedness, yet God established them for his purpose. All forms of human government, including a democratic republic, though, are flawed. Every one of them, are flaw. We think about, uh, <clears throat> I think about what uh, Abraham Lincoln said in 1863 in his address to uh, a group of soldiers on, on one of the most bloody battlefields in, in all of American history, the battlefield of Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln made an address that began with what words, y'all, that know? What did it, what it say? Four score and seven years ago. You know, so that's the Gettysburg Address. In the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln makes a statement about our government, the Democratic Republic. And here's what he meant. And, and, and there's a lot of folks that think that this wasn't original with Abraham Lincoln, that it was said before him and he kind of took it and, and tweaked it. He said that we are a government, and say it with me if you know it, of the people, for the people, by the people. At best, the democratic republic that God has established here in the United States of the people, for the people, by the people is limited by people. 
at best, our government is humanistic. Because at the end of the day, who's it about? Me. My rights, your rights, and the establishment of keeping someone from lording over and saying who I can and can't be. So God established human government, even the worst that you can imagine, and he uses them for the benefit of the people in order to keep order, and he uses them in order to accomplish his purpose, but they're all flawed. That's easy when we look to the government of North Korea. And we say, oh man, is that one flawed. That is no good the way things are being done there and the way that 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 particular dictator is treating his people. We know that that form of government, government is flawed, but so is ours. But yet, it's established by God. So are we clear? Human government is a creation of God as a result of sin in order to provide order for the people and to accomplish his purposes. Second point, we'll move on. Christians have a responsibility to those who govern them. In in those particular verses in Romans, what, what did we hear? The first thing that he said was that we are to submit to the governing authorities. But there are some other passages of Scripture that I want to bring to your mind. The first, in, uh, in Matthew chapter number 22, Verse number 21, and, and this was in a, 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 a conversation that, well, let's talk about politics and let's see what Jesus is going to say. He was, he was uh, trying, the, the, those that were asking these questions to Jesus were trying to trap him. They were trying to put him into a corner so that they might proclaim that Jesus was like a, 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 some like a radical that was against the Roman government that was in charge of Palestine at that time. And they were talking about taxes and Jesus should should you pay taxes? And Jesus said to them in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, Jesus, should we be paying taxes to this oppressing government? They're not doing, we don't think what God would have them to do when in reality, Rome was doing the very thing that God intended. So Jesus, should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, of course, you are to render to the authorities what is owed the authorities and to God what is owed to God. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 13 through 17 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Listen to what Peter is saying. He's saying, be subject, do what they tell you to do. Because if you do what the government says to do, then no one will have a charge against you. And I know some of you are thinking right now, yeah, but what if the government says you can't worship Jesus anymore? Then I'll bring you back to the words of Peter in the, in the book of Acts where he, before the authorities said, you're going to have to decide whether or not I should obey God rather than men. But Peter and John declared, we're going to continue to testify Jesus. So this is not talking about uh, your, your right to believe in your heart, the one who has been crucified in your place. This is talking about taking your freedom that you have in Jesus and using it to say, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Only God can tell me what to do. And Peter's saying, look, God has told you to submit to them. Christians have a responsibility to those who govern them. And that is to be 
law-abiding citizens. Not to continue to think of ways to take up and go against the government, according to the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses number 1 and 2. He says also our responsibility not only is to submit. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse number 2. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Be in prayer for those in authority so that they will continue to allow us to live out our our, our theology, live out our Christianity, pray that these leaders will be uh, favorable to us. We're asking the God who established the government to, uh, to, uh, to keep them to allow us to be able to do what we would like to do in regard to our faith. All Christians are instructed to pay, submit, honor, and pray for those who govern them. But we have a unique opportunity as Christians. In the government we have in the United States, we have what many in the world don't have. We have a voice that many don't have in the world. And that too is a responsibility that we have to our government. We're asked and responsible to represent God with our voice, but uniquely through Scripture. And here's where I'd like for you to write some things down. We're called to represent God with our voice for the cause of the marginalized and the oppressed. And I want you to write down these verses. Psalm 82, 3. Proverbs 31, 9. Jeremiah 22, 2 through 3. Isaiah 1, 17. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10, and James 1 through 27. You say, you said those too fast. That's okay. I'll give you a copy of this if you want it afterward. We represent God when we stand for the things that God is concerned about. Now, God has a lot of concerns, but he gives us some concerns to think about. Those who are widowed, those who are orphaned, those who are, are, are in a position of unique vulnerability, God has called his people to represent them on his behalf. We're to see those who are going to be uniquely positioned to be oppressed, to be taken advantage of, and they are the cause that we are to most often stand up for. So we have a responsibility to those who govern us to submit to them, to pray for them, to honor for them, to pay them. And we say that with a frowny face because we think that we have to pay them too much. But if we look around the world, we pay much less than many do, uh, you know, based on the amount of income we have. We're to pay, we're to honor, we're to pray. And we are to represent when we have a voice and we do those in our communities that are most uniquely subject to being vulnerable and oppressed. But what do we most often use our voice to represent? You ready? Everybody take their finger and do like this right here. Ready? And do your finger like that, like this little light of mine. All right, you ready? Go right here and point it and then go like that. That's what we most often use our voice to represent, me. What's best for me? What I think and what, what, what I want to see. Ha- we have a responsibility to represent God in our nation. And when we have a voice, we're to represent those most vulnerable to oppression. And when given the opportunity to serve in the role of authority, anybody ever served in, uh, in, in a political in a political position, anybody? No, not in here. My dad serves uh, up in Georgia. He's a, a county commissioner. So, like, I got a politician in my family. You know, he sits, they got, I think they got the desk thing. He has a microphone, all that. I, anyway, 
when we have the opportunity to serve. And, and you know what? You got kids sitting beside you. There's no reason, there's, there's no prohibition in the scripture that says that they should not serve as statesmen and women. Surely when we have that opportunity, let's, let's allow God to use them. Certainly he used Daniel in a very similar role. He used uh, uh, Esther in a very awesome opportunity of authority. When we have the opportunity to represent those and to serve in those roles of authority, we're responsible to be genuine salt and light. We have a responsibility to those who govern us. We look at them and we say, God established you. And as much as is possible, meaning you're not asking me to abandon my faith, you're not requiring me to deny Jesus Christ, you're not telling me that I cannot continue to spread the gospel, those things are non-negotiable. I'm going to do those because of whom I serve and who my Savior is. But other than that, as a service and, a, and, a, and an obedience to the one who's called me and saved me, I'm going to submit and I'm going to honor and I'm going to pray and I'm going to use my voice for the benefit of those who are oppressed. And if I have an opportunity to serve, I'm going to serve as salt and light in that opportunity as a governing individual. Not only has God established human government, not only do Christians have a responsibility to those who govern. Number three, Christians must be vigilant to protect their allegiance. Now here's where things begin to get squirrely. Christians must be vigilant to protect their allegiance. Philippians chapter number three, verse number 20 and 21. Paul says to those in Philippi, which is a, a unique thing to be doing because let me just tell you this. The, the Philippians, Philippi was in the region of Macedonia, okay? But Philippi had a unique opportunity that none of the other surrounding cities had. Because of the, of the place that they set in a, in a, a harbor-type environment, Philippi had been instrumental in one of Rome's greatest victories. And so because of that, Philippi was given by the emperor Roman citizenship. So it would be like, uh, like when, when we as a country uh, have, have taken like, uh, so Puerto Rico and I think Guam, they're not states, but because they belong to the U.S., they have U.S. citizenship, even though they're not technically a part of the United States. When the same way Philippi had this Roman citizenship, and I mean that was like a golden or a goose with golden eggs there because they had opportunities and privileges that no one from miles around had like they had. And what Paul says, it's very similar to the blessing that we have as, as citizens of, of the nation that we are. And here's what Paul, he did. He said to them to remind them, I know you're proud of your Roman citizenship and it gets you a long way in this world. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, Philippians, look, I know you're proud of your citizenship, but your citizenship is not of this world. It's in heaven. Your allegiance should never be primarily to anything connected to this dirt that we walk on. Some have asked, why do we not have the flags out? A lot of churches have the flags out. They have the American the flag and they have the Christian flag. And you know what? I don't ever walk into a church and see that and go, well, they're just wrong. Because there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to know why we don't have the stars and stripes in our worship service, because I feel very strongly that America has no place 
in the, in the place where Christ is to be lifted up. Jesus is the reason for our worship. I love America. I pledge allegiance to the flag when I have a chance. I'll stand up and remove my hat. But it comes secondary to who Jesus Christ is. Because God never said that you're, you're doubly blessed if you're an American Christian. No, we just, we're just here because of his grace and because of his choosing. Jesus Christ is our allegiance. Matthew 22, we've already read it, but Matthew 22, 21, he said, render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know what belongs to God? Our heart, our soul, our mind, our love, our allegiance. Colossians chapter number one, verses 13 and 14 says that he, talking about Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate goes, who are you? Are, are you, are you the, you think you're the king of the Jews? Who are you? And Jesus replied to him and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, I'd call my legions and they'd take care of this thing. If this was out of place, my kingdom's not of this world. And we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Look, Christians, our primary citizenship is not of this world. It is in Christ Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, Jesus was making a point about, about a heart turned toward worldly goods. I don't think it's taking it out of context to start with what Jesus initially said and say, you cannot serve two masters regardless of what the other master is that you're trying to serve. We can have but one primary allegiance. His name is Jesus. Everything else must become radically secondary. Nationalism is a real thing. Na Patriotism is one thing. Being ready to serve when called on and being ready to stand brother to sister to protect and to serve, that's one thing. But nationalism, I wrote down, is a seductive harlot that seeks to draw Christians into her web. That's what nationalism is. Nationalism is seeing everything I see through the lens of a freeborn American. To see everything I see through the colors of red, white, and blue. That is nationalism. That says whatever is going to be best for the nation is what I'm going to back. And let me tell you something, Christians. That's a harlot. Because she's trying to steal your heart away from Jesus. One particular website that I went to this week says, some brands of Christianity tie the cross so closely to the flag that it's hard to distinguish if Jesus started a countercultural movement or an American political platform. Did you hear what that says? Some brands of Christianity merge Jesus and the nation, the flag, and put Jesus with America so closely that we think that what he started was an American adventure. We got to be real careful about that. We got to be real careful we don't lift up the wrong thing. And, and, and I, I know that not everyone is going to agree. I love to celebrate the fourth. But unless God radically changes my heart, we will never celebrate the fourth as a means of worship. 
we will lift up Jesus and have hamburgers and hot dogs on the 4th and shoot fireworks and be excited. But Jesus must be first. And Christians have to be vigilant to protect their allegiance. And maybe right now what God is doing is saying, you know what? You really need to think about how closely you have the cross and the flag. And, and, and if God is piercing your heart with that reality, you're going, well, wait a minute. I didn't realize, and now I'm starting to think maybe I got too much America in Jesus. Or maybe I got, can't have too much Jesus in America, but I got too much America in Jesus. Maybe what God is calling you to do is just to repent of that. Say, you know what, God, I've, I've had too many things on the platform of my allegiance, and, and I need to make it just your son. Hey, here's something to think about. You, you ever thought about this? When the Olympics come around every four years or every two years, winter and summer, you realize that God does not root for America when the Olympics come around? <laughs> right? But, but don't we kind of think he does? Like when America goes to war... Don't we kind of think, well, y'all better watch out because America's bringing God with a... Where do we get that? Too close? We're not his favorite. All Christians everywhere are called to have one allegiance that all others must submit to, and his name is Jesus. No nation... No national leader, no denomination, no church, no pastor can save. Only Jesus, only Jesus. Let no one be confused by who our allegiance is to. So God established human government. Christians have a responsibility to those who govern. Christians must be vigilant to protect their allegiance. Now, how are we going to take this into the conversations that we live in. How must Christians conduct themselves in our political atmosphere? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and we'll be done. First of all, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Here's what Paul says. Here's how Christians are to conduct themselves in general. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, that's prideful, but associate with the lowly. That, that's not really, he's not defining lowly. He, he's saying that you think they're lowly. Associate with the ones that you think are beneath you. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, that's not always possible for you to live peaceably with your neighbor when your neighbor won't live peaceably with you. But as much as it depends on you, you know what you bring to the table. And if you keep bringing peace to the table, they can keep throwing the leaves over on your side of the fence. But don't you uh, see that? Beloved, never avenge yourself when he throws the leaves over on your side of the fence. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, uh, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we are to act and conduct ourselves in general. Now let's think about this. In the political conversations that we find ourselves in, how do we represent Jesus? How do we come to the table and how do we represent who he is? First, we pursue harmony instead, instead of division. No worldly endeavor should ever divide believers or separate Christians 
or, or separate non-Christians from the gospel. But we're going to have elections. And folks are going to come with their ideas and their labels and their parties and their affiliations and their, their, their platforms and all of the things. And we've got to be very careful as representatives of Jesus that our allegiance is with Christ. Our voting and our praying and, and, and our, our activity is going to be in submission and we're going to use those opportunities for the causes that, that Christ will promote in life. But we had better not come to the table with division. But I'm going to tell you, most of us raised our hand when I said, do we vote in a primary? So that means we have a political affiliation. We've got to be careful that we not allow any worldly endeavor. And can I tell you something? The American political system is at best a worldly endeavor. You realize that none of the policies of this nation or any nation in this world is going to have any effect on the eternal purposes and plans of God. You realize that, right? Even if everything we stand for and everything we, we appreciate in this nation goes away tomorrow, you recognize that nothing whatsoever changes about the purpose and plan of God. Everything he said he's going to do, he's going to do, and it's going to happen just like he said it would happen. It might be more uncomfortable for me and you, but God's not thwarted at all. So let us never allow something as silly as politics create division in this body. And may political endeavors never separate us from those who hear us saying we're followers of Jesus. But think about the things that you have liked on Facebook, and the posts that may have been named pursue harmony. Second, be humble instead of bullishly prideful. You know why? Because you don't know everything. And just because you think it's a good idea doesn't make that the best thing. Just because I think it's what needs to be done, that doesn't mean, that doesn't give me the reason to be prideful. I've been called to be humble when my party wins. I've been called to be humble when my party loses. You know why? Because God is in control. Let this, let this sink in for you just a minute. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, we, we got to get God's leader in the White House. We got to get God's lead. When you read those verses that I called out for, you're going to learn that God raises up one king and puts down another. And God, Do you realize that how many, how many presidents have we had? 40, what is this one? 45, 46, 45. Do, do you realize that all 45 of them were there because God allowed them to be there? <laughs> Somebody go, no, not that God's God's had like 13 and uh, then it, no, all of them. Have they all represented God in, in the way that would be consistent with his word? No, but that's not what God said. He said, I raise them up to do what I want them to do, to bring about what I want them to bring about. And sometimes it doesn't even correlate with what I'm about, but his purpose is being accomplished. So be humble instead of prideful. Be an agent of honor to do what is honorable in the sight of all, he says. Be an agent of honor instead of denigration. Saying or posting things that disrespect our leaders. See it all the time. Memes that make fun of our leaders and say ugly things about them. Happens all the time. Should never happen by a Christian. Seeking peace instead of an argument. We can go back to social media on that one. 
being patient in God's sovereign plan, realizing that every leader is under God's sovereignty and God never loses on election day. Being willing to be, uh, be unwilling to be marked by hate. When the folks you didn't vote for win, when the folks that you did vote for are being hated by others, you and I as followers of Jesus being unwilling to be marked by hate. I don't know, maybe the guy who's in there now is your guy. Guess what? He's God's guy for now to accomplish God's purpose. The guy we had before, guess what? He was God's guy for then to accomplish his purpose. And guess what? The guy before, and and if there's a gal that comes next, guess what? It's going to be to accomplish God's purpose. And you know what we can do? Sit back, relax. And the fact that God is sovereign, his purpose is being accomplished and be unwilling to be marked by hate. But I see so much hate. I hear so much hate when it comes to politics. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What are we to do? How are we to conduct ourselves in, in the arena of politics? We're to pray, we're to vote, we're to pray, we're to submit, we're to pray. We're to champion the causes that Jesus would champion, but always with love, compassion, truth, gentleness, grace, understanding, and then we're to pray. Because it ain't about the, the political environment it's, it's not the political environment that's going to bring about growth in the church. It's God people having Christ on the throne of their heart, championing the gospel regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what laws get passed, regardless of what the Supreme Court says or doesn't say, regardless of, of who has control of what House or Senate. None of that matters in the bigger plan of God. Our call is clear to take the gospel, to live it, to promote Jesus in every arena, even the political one. So bottom line is, I don't care what party you are. I don't care how you vote. I, I, I care that you keep Jesus in the crosshairs of your heart and mind and that you serve him with every ounce of your being and let him be the primary allegiance of your heart. That makes sense? When we lift Jesus up, crucified in our place, risen for our sin, you know what God does? He draws all men and women to himself. When we cloud that view of the cross by stupid American politics, then we cloud the gospel message of those who need to hear. So let's be representatives of Jesus in the country that we're in and the government that we have for his glory, for the building up of his people. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Let's talk about politics. Let's just represent Jesus with our actions and our words. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are our Savior We thank you that you are our Lord. We thank you that you are our King. We look forward to the day that you return. Your word says that it will be uh, imminent when we're least expecting it. I I doubt probably anybody came today thinking that, uh, that you might return in the middle of our time together in worship, but we know you can. You could. We pray that you will use us in the time between your return and now that you will show us in our hearts and minds what it looks like to be a Christian in America. May we never get that backwards. I pray that you will um, just give us a resolve in our heart to represent you in the 
arenas that we live in. We, we work, we go to school, we play online. God, may we look like Jesus with our words and actions as it applies to politics. And may we be someone who can effectively present Jesus without hindrances, without, without baggage that, uh, that clouds the, the gospel. May we be able to share the gospel for, uh, for those who have not heard. And we pray as, as we've gone out of now the Who's Your One series and we've moved on, God, may we not forget those that we're continuing to pray for. I think about that card that was in the box just this week. That means folks are still thinking. They're still acting. I pray for that one. His name's Ryan. God, I pray for all of those that we're asking you to save and asking for the opportunity, the door to be open for us to be able to share. God, we just ask that you would use us and that you would equip us to be able to share um, effectively. God, I pray for our people. I ask that you'll use us in a powerful way in the arenas in which we live. We might be a, a salt and light to those who need to, to see you and to hear you. God, may you be pleased to use us. We want to lift up our government leaders right now. Those who have been um, elected, but those who have been established by you. We ask God that you would draw their hearts to yourself that they might recognize who you are and what has been provided for them through your son. God, we ask that you will give them wisdom, that you will give them, uh, give them the ability to govern wisely. Father, we pray that the policies that are enacted will, will be those of, uh, of dignity. God, that, that, uh, that people will be able to, uh, uh, well, will be able to, to serve you with freedom and and God, that they'll be able to, to encounter you. God, we pray that policies will be um, in keeping with your word. That's what we want. God, we just ask that you'll cause us to be citizens that will um, be pleasing to you in the nation that you've blessed us to be in. Just give us a time of good fellowship. We love you and we thank you for some Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.